Well, good morning again and welcome. We're really glad that you're here. As I start this morning, I want to actually uh, invite you to a few things that are going to be happening between this evening and tomorrow. And I want to tell you why we're doing these things. So tonight we will regather this evening for, for Evensong. Um, this is a, and we'll begin singing the hymns of, of Christmas together. And we'll pray in light of our Lord's coming as a church. It, it, will be a, it won't be a long, lengthy service, I, I promise. I assure you it will not be a long service. After that service, Scott and Zohansen are hosting um, a Christmas Eve meal for any of those who would like to uh, come to be a part of that. You're, you're very welcome. They'd love to have you. And I think there will be plenty of sweet things for children to eat um, and to keep them up until they open presents the next morning. <laughs> Tomorrow morning, we're, we're going to regather for worship, for uh, Eucharistic worship. Um, now, I want to tell you why we're doing these things. Uh, we're, one of the things that Jesus did in his incarnation was he came to make a new family to fulfill his promises to the father Abraham and also to David himself, that he would make them a family of all nations. It would be a family that would supersede blood relatives. It's not that blood relatives are not a wonderful thing, but they're not the main thing. God's family is even greater. And so at moments like this, at the height of what Jesus Christ has done to sacrifice himself for us, the church has always gathered to draw together the whole family of God. And so when we gather at these moments, it's not just the worship itself. It's us being together as the people of God to be joined and formed as a family of his people. That's why we're worshiping, but also host a family in our church is hosting a meal, which we're so grateful for. And I want to encourage you, if you need to come in pajamas for this to happen, do that. It's not a high bar outside of just showing up. If, if I had nice pajamas, I would wear those, but I'm not going to do that. But I want to encourage you, if you're able to be here and to worship with God's people during this moment in which we celebrate the Lord's coming into our world and into our lives. And we long for his return to come again fully and to make all things right. Now, over these next few services, I want to talk to you in a, in a brief way about this theme of Christmas. Here it is. Christmas is God's grace coming to restore us. That's what Christmas is. It is God's grace coming to restore us as his people. This story that we heard this morning from the Gospel of Luke, it begins with a gracious visit to Mary. A gracious visit to Mary. The angel's words to Mary are, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. A moment later, the angel says to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. What is this favor that the angel is speaking of? Oh, favored one, you have found favor. Some have taken this to mean through the history of the church that Mary was very virtuous, which may be true, but it's not the whole truth. 
The word for favor here is the word grace. It's grace. So the angel is actually saying, greetings, you have received grace. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace from God. Our Catholic brothers and sisters actually have it right when they phrase it in this way. Mary, full of grace. Whatever her other virtues, Mary's greatest virtues is her ability to receive the grace of God deep into her life and enable it, and it transforms her. This angelic visit and the news that it brings, these are the behaviors of a God who is gracious, a God who keeps promise even when his people break their promise. And I think this is a way that God wants to speak to all of us in this story. How are you at receiving grace? How are you at receiving grace in your life? And I don't mean how are you at overlooking your sin and brushing it off. At forgetting it. At forgetting your failures. That's not what I mean. I mean how are you you receiving deeply into your life the cleansing and forgiving grace of God. You see, grace actually has teeth. If we do not receive it deeply into our lives, our own lack of forgiveness of ourselves, we will get chewed up by it. We will become a hardened and unforgiving people toward ourselves and toward others. How are you at allowing grace to break down barriers in your life? Barriers of pride. Of being a self-made and self-maintained and independent person. Have you allowed grace to break down that lie that you can make it on your own. And that you don't need help and forgiveness. Maybe you have other barriers to receiving grace. What are those? What are the barriers specific to your life that keep you from receiving grace fully? There are other ways this story reveals God's grace. In 2 Samuel 7, that Scott read for us, we, hear, we heard about a covenant. A covenant is a relational promise. And we heard about a covenant God made to David, with David. David wanted to build a house for God, which it was one of the most special things that you could do when David lived, was to build a house for God. But God said, first, I will build a house for you. That is a unique thing for a God to say. You should know that. No other God in the ancient world would have corrected a, per, a man who wanted to build a house for them and say, no, first I will build a house for you. And this is who this God is, Yahweh, the Jesus that we worship. This God, much of the time, wants to act first on our behalf before we can act on his behalf. 
This is why prayer is so, such an important discipline for Christians. Because prayer forces our hand to let us let God be gracious to us. So that we enable God to act for us instead of us trying to act for ourselves all the time. God, when he made this promise to David, he promised that he would build for David an eternal family. A family that would last forever. The problem is that David's family turned out to be a lot like all of our families. Broken. Fractured. In fact, David's family, many of us would say, was even worse than our families. More broken. David's family became at war with each other. One of his own sons tried to kill him. I don't want to make light of any of the things that your family faces. But some of you could read David's story and think, well, I'm glad it's not quite that bad yet. And David's sons became leaders like a lot of our leaders. David's sons were terribly flawed. He himself was flawed and his sons multiplied on his sins. They were corrupt. And every now and then a good one came along who would improve things. But then the, one, the next bad one would come and undo all the good. <laughs> so here we are in our passage in Luke with Mary. Nearly a thousand years after God's promise to David. We're long after David's death. The promise is seemingly lost and forgotten. You might ask, does God keep his promises to the dead? Does he? The news to Mary about Jesus is about God's grace in preserving his promises. God has a long memory for his promises. He never forgets them. Jesus is a son of David. God does keep his promises to the dead. Jesus comes, as the ki- Jesus comes as the king that David's family could never be. Jesus establishes this worldwide family in the church. An eternal family for David. If you think about it, and, and I don't want you to hear me wrong here. Jesus is much more than just an idea. But I do want you to think about this. Even the idea of Jesus... A man who is so good and so true, so compassionate, but so courageous. Even the idea of Jesus is a grace in our world. The idea of Jesus is a way in which the light has broken into our darkness and the darkness of the world has not overcome it. It's amazing. There's a a guy named Tom Holland who is a historian. He writes these uh, books on history. And um, Tom Holland was actually an atheist for a long time. But then he realized that everything that he believed was right came from Christianity. (laughs) And he said in this strange way, he didn't realize it, but all along he had been a Christian. You see, Jesus is the goodness that all of us long for. The truth that all of us long for. And He is the fulfillment of God's promise. He is the fulfillment of God's grace to us and to the world. 
Again, the story prods us to ask the question, are you receiving God's grace in your life? His commitment to His promises to you that He will not forsake you. He will not leave you. And the way that Jesus comes into the world, the specific way He comes is no less an act of grace. Mary asks the angel how this is going to happen since she is a virgin. Her virginity is mentioned three times in the story. The the reason is to show how impossible this is going to be. And I know some of you find this difficult to believe, the virgin birth. Many people in the world find it difficult to believe. I want to encourage you by saying that's part of the point that it's difficult to believe. It is part of the point. It should be difficult to believe. And this is not the only part you will struggle to believe about God. This God who is so gracious. This is how he works. He works beyond your understanding. In a way that you cannot fathom in your own mind. God's grace is beyond reason. And so his birth must also be beyond reason. It's also worth saying that our redemption is impossible without a miracle of this magnitude. And I want to explain that. We are far too broken to need just a nice gesture from God to make us right. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. And it's likewise with us. We cannot be made right by any simple thing that man can do. What do we need to be saved or restored from? We need to be saved and restored from a life that always leads to death. Death is the only possible end for us. We need to be restored from all the small and big ways that we are enslaved to ourselves and our disordered loves in our lives. Things that we love more than God. Ways in which we do not rightly love our neighbor, our spouse, our family, our friends, whoever it may be. The way that we love things wrongly. And the virgin birth in this case is more than just a little sprinkle of magic or fairy dust in the story. A kind of flair to keep the plot interesting. It's more than that. For the man of sin who lives in us to be condemned and conquered, God, the divine majesty, had to be joined to man. And so the virgin birth enables the nature of God to be joined with the nature of man. All this so that God can come and remake us and restore us. So the church fathers would say, God became man so that man might become like God. God is perfectly joined to man through this virgin birth. My favorite line of poetry about the incarnation goes this way. Nothing can save us that is possible. We who must die demand a miracle. Again, nothing can save us that is possible. 
we who must die demand a miracle. So the virgin birth is the beginning of many gracious and difficult to believe acts that God is going to perform on the way to our salvation. And not to believe this, not to believe this miracle could be one of the many ways that we deny the grace that we so desperately need. We need this miracle. Just like we need all the others. Just like we need the resurrection itself to conquer our sin and death. We need God to be born from a virgin. I wonder if one of the things that gets in the way of your ability to receive grace is your mind. Is the way that you uh, prioritize your own ability to rationalize and make sense of everything. If you want to follow this God, you must be willing to surrender to mystery. That this God can do far more and does do far more than you will ever understand or comprehend. Finally though, Mary, you know, she doesn't completely abandon reason. She does ask how this is going to happen. Miracles still have to happen some way. So the angel responds to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And this is not the first time this image has been used in the grand story of the Bible. It's such an important image. The whole image of the Holy Spirit overshadowing. At the dawn of the world in Genesis, the Holy Spirit overshadowed the watery chaos and brought light and life unimaginable. Again, when the Israelites built a tent for God to be with them in the wilderness, the Holy Spirit overshadowed the tent in a cloud and God came to live and it became a tabernacle, a living presence of God among His people. This was His grace, His willingness to come be with them. And Mary is now being told that she is going to become a living tent of meeting filled with God's holy presence in her womb. Her womb is going to become a tabernacle of the divine majesty. Think of the grace of a God who is willing to dwell inside of us. We get weirded out just having to sit too close to each other. This God is willing to come and live in a womb. What kind of grace is this? Humility. Here we have the most personal and intimate image of God's grace coming to restore us. And Mary is very special. But she's only doing what God wants all of us to do. To welcome His holy and gracious presence into our lives. Into our very being. So that we too become a living tabernacle of the divine majesty. Of the Holy Spirit. So that He hovers over us and within us. And He brings life. Restored, good and beautiful life. I'm going to talk tonight and tomorrow morning about what it means to be restored. But for now, to close, I want to ask you. How is it that you need to receive God's grace more deeply in your life? We all know that receiving gifts is not a simple thing. Is it? 
There are some gifts that you you have to be ready to receive the gift so that you can appropriately give thanks for the gift, right? It takes an intentionality. And receiving grace actually requires something of us. And Mary gives us words that have been helpful to people for a long time. They're words of submission and obedience. Listen to what Mary says. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. These words that Mary gives us, they express a willingness to surrender to God. This is the first thing we have to do to receive grace, is we have to surrender. Our life does not depend on us. It depends on the God who made us and comes to restore us by His grace. It's a willingness to surrender to God for who He is and to do whatever He calls us to do from there. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to me according to your word. I wonder if you can fully say those words and receive them in your life. Can you receive the grace that God wants to give you to restore you? Whether it's for the first time or for the thousandth time. Can you receive it? This is what Christmas is about. It is about the grace of God coming to restore us. To make us who He has made us to be. So I want to pause for a few moments now and give you a moment. And I want to ask you if you would silently say to God, yourself, in the midst of your life, whatever is going on in your life, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And when you say that, I want you to listen For ways that God might speak to you in that. What is it he might be calling you to do. As you receive his grace in your life. Behold. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me. According to your word. Will you say those words to God. And then we'll stand and confess our faith together.